Christ Church, New Malden, Sunday the 13th of August, 2023, 9.30 service. Vashti Prescott speaking on Why I Am a Christian. My parents both came to England in the 1950s. My dad was from Guyana, South America, and my mum from Trinidad. My dad was actually one of my mum's brother's best friends, and that was how they met. She was a nurse and a midwife. He is, still, a civil engineer. They got married in 1965 here in London and had my sister shortly after. When my sister was a baby and my mother was actually pregnant with me, they moved to Guyana for my dad's work. Although the family lived in Guyana, my mum decided to have me in Trinidad so that she could have the support from her own family who lived there. My brother then followed a few years later. He too was born in Trinidad. And that's a picture of my family from left to right, my cousin, my dad, my sister, her daughter, my mum, there's me, and my other cousin. And I've just noticed in that picture my dog, Oscar, who passed away in February's in the corner. I've only just noticed that. Um, so I lived in South America until I was five years old and then there was a lot of moving around. When I was five, we moved to London for my dad's work, and then when I was nine, so I spent five to nine in London, we moved back to Trinidad, where I actually lived for the first time, um, between nine and 18. So my sort of teenage years, and then I was 18, I came here to England to do my law degree. So there was a lot of to in and fro in, and this was probably why, as a child, I never actually felt that I fit in anywhere or belonged anywhere. When I came here, five, from Guyana, I looked different to all the other children and I spoke differently. I don't recall having any friends at all. And when I moved back at the age of nine to Trinidad again, I spoke differently. No one understood me. I couldn't understand their thick Caribbean accent, not even my cousins. Um, and whenever I did open my mouth, most children laughed at me. My cousins would come to me and say, say twinkle twinkle little star, say Mary had a little lamb, just so that they could burst into peals of laughter when I did. And then again, when I came here at 18 to do my law degree, it was the same all over again, really. My parents were not Christians, so I never went to church. In fact, I was 19 years old when I first ever entered a church. When I was little, we had a child minder, um, a nanny, and she tried very hard to teach us the Lord's Prayer. This was probably my first um, encounter with Christianity, but we didn't pay her any attention. I do remember taking the journey from Guyana to England when I was five with my sister. For some reason, my parents, my mum, my dad, and my baby brother had traveled on from Guyana to London and my sister and I followed on our own. We, it, was, it, was, it was a good flight, but I remember I'd never flown long haul before, and I was terrified climbing up those stairs that just seemed enormous into the aeroplane. And I desperately remembered trying to remember the words of the Lord's Prayer. I was holding on to my sister saying, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be the name, what comes next, what comes next? And she, she didn't know, she, she didn't know either. Then when I was in secondary school in Trinidad, I was about 12 at the time, I had a friend, Carla. She was a Christian and she spent a lot of time, I was a project of hers, I firmly believe, trying to convert me into becoming a Christian. 
She bought me these little comic books, and I was really surprised. After I agreed to do this talk, this appeared through the letterbox into my... And I just thought it was a sign. It was a sign. She actually bought me my first Bible. She had the Good News Bible, and it's strange. I actually now have the Good News Bible. And I liked her Bible because of all the illustrations in it. I used to go through just looking at the drawings. And when she studied, she would highlight sections of the Bible. So green was all the bits highlighted about anxiety and worry. And I used to love looking at her Bible, actually. Um, and again, because I didn't have any friends, I was really pleased with the interest she showed in me. Um, but I didn't catch on to the whole Christianity bit. I think there's a, there's a picture of Carla. I googled her, and um, she's actually a doctor um, involved in genetic research. Um, so I moved to London when I was 18. She moved at the same time to Canada, which is where she's remained. I've never seen her or spoken to her since. I've tried to track her down on social media, haven't been able to make contact, and, and I really do miss her, actually. So I moved to England when I was 18 to do my law degree. I met my husband, Rick, and we had our daughter, Rochelle, in 1990. And there's a picture of us three on a walk. Rochelle was a miracle baby. I had a tumour, 10 by 6 centimetres, removed from my right ovary when I was 19, as, long as, as well as my fallopian tubes. And I was told I would never be able to have children, ever. I think they said I could come back when I wanted and have fallopian tube reconstruction or something like that, but um, I was only 19. I discovered I was pregnant when I was 22. Um, actually, I was 21. So I'd only known Rick for six months. Um, I was absolutely shocked, obviously. I wasn't ready for a baby, and I certainly didn't want one. Um, and I found motherhood actually really, really hard. I think probably because I was so young. Um, Rochelle was born in West Sussex. We lived in Crawley, and when she was about two years old, we moved to Reading. I found a job in Reading. It was around the time we moved to Reading that I started going to church. I don't know why I did, but I did, and I took Rochelle with me. Shortly after we moved to Reading, I started having abdominal pain, and I was diagnosed with level four endometriosis. Over a period of about seven years, a few years, about five years, I had about seven different operations. I was in constant pain. I could barely do anything. I couldn't walk any distance. I couldn't go out shopping. A drive in the country was about all I could imagine, manage at weekends. My boss at the time was a Christian, John Spencer. After one of the operations, he popped over to my office to see me and asked me how I was. I told him I was in chronic pain. He asked if he could pray for me. I didn't know what to say. I didn't want to be rude, and he was my boss, so I said, yes, okay. In the instant he prayed for me, the pain just lifted. It vanished. I mean, not permanently. It did obviously come back. But in that moment, it was gone. To me, that was a miracle that had been performed for me. And I could actually point to that moment being the point in my life that I could truly say I believed God existed, that he was real. I think I, looking back, I was more shocked that he would do something for me. Suddenly this sort of enormity of God and the little me and that he would do something for me, I think that actually shocked me more than anything else. I didn't think I was important enough, but 
I, yeah. I don't think at that stage I believed that Jesus was God. I knew he was important. I knew he was sent by God. But I wasn't sure and I didn't understand the link between him and God. I didn't get the whole link between the God, the Holy Spirit, and Jesus. But in 1998, both myself and Rochelle were baptised at St. Peter's Church in Caversham, Reading. I was confirmed at the same time. The bishop was really chuffed. He said that he, it, was, it was the first time he was carrying out a baptism, baptism confirmation on the same person on the same day. Um, I don't remember the experience being particularly remarkable. In truth, if anything, I was probably a little disappointed because I remembered worrying about it for days before, a bit like I've worried about today, wondering what would happen to me when I received the gift of the Holy Spirit. Whether I'd, that sounds silly, whether I would faint or start talking in tongues. <laughs> and the vicar at the time, she was a lady, and she took me through my confirmation classes. She laughed and she said, God would never impose the Holy Spirit on us in a way that we could not accept. In 1999, we'd moved from Reading to Kingston. I'd found a really good job, just opposite the church, where the um, G&O building is well, it used to be opposite the um, petrol station, but there isn't a petrol station anymore. And I started coming here to, to Christchurch. I joined some home groups and the running group, and my faith gradually grew little by little. Rick and I got married in 2004. So we got married in Grenada, a West Indian island on the beach. Roche was one of the bridesmaids. She would be 13 at the time. It was a small wedding, just immediate family, and we've got some pictures from... I think they're about three pictures. And it was really, oh, that's me doing a flamenco. We'd, I'll explain that in a minute. We had our reception party, although we got married in Grenada, we had our reception party about a month later at the Royal Oak, opposite. And um, we fitted about 120 people. So the flamenco picture you see, that's actually the Royal Oak upstairs. And my flamenco team came and actually um, danced for us. At the time, I was, I think that's some lunchtime dance for charity. I was doing something. Um, Stephen got invited to the reception party, as did some other members of Christchurch. He'd only moved to Christchurch himself as a curate in 2003, and I know he didn't know who I was. Um, but he came, as did some other members, and we, we had a lovely time, a really lovely time. In 2006, I moved to Cardiff, another job move. I stayed there during the week, came home at the weekends. But at the weekend, still came to Christchurch. I rarely missed a Sunday. Then in 2011, a disaster struck. I lost my job. I'd never faced anything like that before. I was worried about money, our finances as a family. I worried about finding another job. I felt deeply ashamed. I felt that what had happened to me was some sort of punishment. I couldn't bring myself to even tell my parents or my friends. I thought that they would judge me and think, well, you must have done something wrong, even though I hadn't. Rosh was in her final year at uni. Rick was trying to keep everything really low profile, but it just came across to me that no one cared. I didn't feel supported or cared for by anyone. I'd spent my entire life working hard and building a career. I saw all my achievements being washed away before my eyes through no fault of my own. It wasn't just losing the job that was so hard. But the way it was done, the whole process and the way I was treated. I prayed and prayed and prayed. I read the Bible from cover to cover. 
Someone, I think it was Hugh here, told me, read Psalms. So I did, on repeat. Nothing happened, nothing helped. I was distraught. I didn't feel as if God was there at all. I couldn't feel any presence at all, and I felt entirely alone. I told Stephen about this recently, and he laughed. He said what I was describing was the classic footprints in the sand scenario, where the person says to God, I looked back on my life, and in the darkest, hardest times, there's only one set of footprints. And God says, because, my child, those are the times I carried you. And I think he did. He must have. 2012, I did get another job back in London, and I left Cardiff. I left all my friends, and I came home. It was very hard. I was, in effect, starting all over again. I continued to come to church. Eventually, my career started to grow and prosper again. By 2017, my faith had really grown, and I probably felt closer to God than I ever had. I tried to read the Bible every day. I would pray every single morning. And when I prayed, I could feel that the Holy Spirit was there listening to me. And I just remembered I used to go to the All Saints Church um, once a week for the um, communion service at lunchtimes. It was really lovely. Then in 2017, it all happened again. I lost my job again. The second time was not as hard as the first time. I felt stronger and more able to deal with it. Whilst physically and psychologically, I dealt with it better. Spiritually, I didn't. Because at the time, I'd been so close to God, it absolutely drove a wedge between myself and God. I didn't feel I could trust God again. I felt that God had allowed it to happen to me. I'm a firm believer that this is God's world. He is in charge. Nothing happens without his permission. Therefore, he had to have allowed this to happen to me again. Stephen did say to me, for all the bad things that have happened, something good will come out of it. And he's absolutely right. As hard as losing my job was in 2011, the return from Cardiff saw a distinct change in my career. I was able to do different types of work. I am now more fulfilled in my career in terms of the type of work I do and the service I offer as a direct result of having moved back to London in 2011. I honestly do feel I am using the talent and gifts God has given me for his purpose. Both disasters in 2011 and 2017 have pointed me to where I am today. I could not have got here without those things happening. I'm not saying that what happened was good, but that good has come from it. Someone else said to me, when things are going really bad, just stop and think. Write down five things which are, which are not going bad. Count your blessings. I did do that in 2017, and I think that's probably why I coped so much better with the hardship than I did in 2011. When you're going through a hard time, stuck in the rut, it's hard to imagine that things will get better. Focusing on positive things is very important. I think being a Christian has changed me as a person. It's taught me values I did not have before. Things like giving, not because you can afford to or you have extra, but because that other person needs it more than you. I've also come to know the power of a kind word, especially when spoken to a stranger. It's in times like that you really feel the presence of the Holy Spirit. I went to cinema recently and was waiting for the 213 bus home. I noticed a lady at the bus stop. She was silently crying. I only know she was crying because I could see the tears running down her face. 
Other than that, her face was expressionless. I went up to her and asked if she was all right. Was everything okay? She turned and looked at me, shocked that I had inquired. She paused and then said, I am from Ukraine. Today, I heard that someone I liked very, very much had died. She then started crying again, more visibly. Her face crumpled. I put my arms around her and I gave her a hug. I said, I'm so, so sorry. She let me embrace her. At that moment, the bus came and she boarded ahead of me. She went upstairs. But before she did, she turned and she looked at me and she gave me the biggest, warmest smile. That's the power of a kind word, a little bit of love. Some Christian messages are powerful. Pray for your enemies. A few months ago, I was having a bad time at work. In the prayer at the end of the sermon, Stephen said, as he always does, think of someone who needs God's healing or help. Lift them up to him in prayer. I did. I prayed for my enemies, and I did it sincerely. I prayed that God would heal their hearts and minds and let them see what they were doing was wrong. I don't know if they did know or feel differently, but it sure had a wonderful, calming effect on me. God has an amazing way of speaking to us. It could be through a sermon where the message is clear and direct and relates to exactly something that's going on in your life. When I was going through my ordeal in 2017, I remember coming into church and talking to Carolyn Lucas about it. Later on, probably a year later, I met Stephen coming home on the train, actually, from work. And Stephen said to me that Carolyn had told him that I was having a hard time. He said to me, why didn't you come to me? That's what I'm here for. And a few months ago, when I was having my bad time, Tim was preaching. He was actually talking about reading the Bible and understanding what you were reading. And he distinctly said, if you're having problems, don't struggle alone, ask for help. And just like that, I knew that was God's message to me. Straight after the sermon, I went up to Stephen and I said to him, I'm having a bad time, I'm struggling. And he arranged to speak with me later that week. So God does speak to us, directly as well as indirectly. I've been coming to Christchurch for 24 years now. I've had some fantastic times here. Barn dances, quiz nights, more recently the cinema club, making sense of Paul classes. I've seen Christchurch from 1999 to 2023 grow and developed. It has changed, just as I have changed in my faith and development as a Christian. I've seen it grow. It's a fun place to be, especially with the dressing up services and other events. It's difficult coming to church on your own. I either feel like I stick out like a sore thumb, sat there, usually where Stephen is at the moment, on my own, sitting there whilst families with their babies or couples surround me, and I feel, or, so, or I feel invisible, and I feel, would it even matter if I, were, if I weren't here? It would matter to me. I do feel that I belong here. I know now that as a matter of fact that if I needed help and reached out to someone, not just Stephen, that there is always someone here to help me. There are people who will genuinely say, are you all right? And be genuinely concerned. The making sense of Paul's classes has been a real boost to my faith. I can see my Christian faith and development coming along in leaps and bounds. I read the passages with renewed interest. I think in order to learn about the link between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the bit I struggled with as an early Christian, you have to read the Bible. 
the making sense of Paul classes and the questions we've considered really make you think about the early church as it struggled to find a place and take root. So much trying to be done by so few, the problems they faced. You read that and think, how is it different to us as a church nowadays? What problems are we facing as a church 2,000 years on that they were facing? We may be 2,000 years old and establish, but some problems, especially around unity as a church, are the same. I've come to learn that I'm not here alone. The Paul classes have made me seem that. I'm part of the body of Christ. I'm joined and connected to each of you all. I'm a valued member. Each part a body of Christ has a unique purpose, and I have mine. We all do. We just need to encourage each other and support each other. I'm a Christian because of the way it has changed me and shaped my life. It's not easy. When you come out to people in the workplace and identify as a Christian, you are immediately judged by others for the things you say and what you do. If I've done something wrong, even though no one else knows about it, I know he knows, and I know I have to put it right. I am a Christian because I do have a home and a family here. I have other people who will care about me and support me. I'll end with a verse that I completely identify with. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, inwardly we are being renewed, day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far awaits them all. So we fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal.